This is day two of this January 2020 Rohatsu Sashin. And we'll uh, resume reading uh, from the teachings of the 12th century Chinese Zen master Da Wei from the book Swampland Flowers. These are his uh, letters and lectures. Picking up now in the in the middle of uh, the letter we left off uh, from yesterday, he says he wrote he wrote, "If worldly people whose present conduct is without illumination, I guess the translator we're talking about the unenlightened." Uh, would correct themselves and do good, though the goodness is not yet perfect, isn't this better than depravity and shamelessness? So, uh, perfect, um, I think of the, uh, the, the word paramita, the, the different uh, paramitas, uh, the perfections, the ten, the six perfections, and uh, so, um, doing good, yeah, there are different different degrees of doing good. But uh, he's I think he's suggesting that until enlightenment, our good deeds and they may be very good, our good deeds uh, are always just a little bit uh, contaminated by belief in the self. Um, but then he's saying here, if such people do, uh, do good, even though it's not the the paramita, the perfection of whatever we're doing, it's uh, better than doing doing bad, doing wrong. And he continues, one who does evil on the pretext of doing good is called in the teaching one whose causal ground is not genuine, bringing on crooked results. Wonder who and what type of person in particular he might be thinking of, one who does evil on the pretext of doing good. Well, my mind goes to politicians, but uh, who knows? If with a straightforward mind and straightforward conduct you are able to seize supreme enlightenment directly, this can be called the act of one of power. Straight, no, this word straightforward, a straightforward mind and straightforward conduct, meaning undivided, not uh, stained by thoughts or self consciousness. Straightforward mind, mind, uh, the mind of oneness, mind of just. While walking, just walking. While washing, just washing. If you're, if you're able to see supreme enlightenment directly, this can be called the act of one of power. Yeah, power, power comes to us uh, in Sashin from uh, paring away our involvement in thoughts. 
when when we are focused such as this if we're when we're acting uh, with a straightforward concentrated mind then we are shedding thoughts and this gives us power everyone knows late in sashin the type of energy or power that that uh, comes up in us that uh that we feel that that carries us along it's because we have gotten gotten free of so many thoughts in the previous days of sashin and he says he writes the concerns that have come down from numberless ages are only in the present or they're all in the present if you can understand them right now then the concerns of numberless ages will instantly disperse like tiles being scattered or ice melting so what are these concerns for example the concerns that have come down from numberless ages in other words age old timeless human concerns i jotted down uh, a few of these that are mentioned in in zen texts one of them is what's what are called the eight winds the eight winds are um, four pairs of basic human uh, upsets uh, situations that that uh, are reactions basic human reactions to circumstances very basic so here are the four pairs these are the these are the eight winds gain and loss praise and censure or praise and criticism fame and disrepute pleasure and displeasure these uh these encompass an awful lot of what causes us to stress in our lives are reacting to gain and loss are reacting to praise and censure are reacting to fame and uh, bad reputation are reacting to pleasure and displeasure i you could also add here um self-interest as compared to service to others that's a probably a a concern that's come down from numberless ages and just suffering impermanence old age sickness death saying these are not things in the past this is these are states these are um issues that uh is just part of being human it says if you can understand them right now then they will disperse like tiles being scattered or ice melting what does it mean to understand them well fundamentally it means to see that they have no substance to them there's nothing to them
He continues, If you don't understand right now, you'll pass through countless eons more, and it'll still be just as it is. The truth that is as it is has been continuous since antiquity without ever having varied so much as a hair's breadth. Again, what is this truth fundamentally, the essential truth, the essential experience in the Dharma is that this world of form and phenomena of every kind is nothing. Things are no thing. He continues, matters of worldly anxieties are like the links of a chain, joining together continuously without a break. If you can do away with them, do away with them immediately. Again, this, this bears repeating. What does doing away with them mean? It means not dwelling in them, these uh, world matters of worldly anxieties not devoting our attention to them. I mean, of course, uh, there are matters, problems of everyday life that we have to uh, work with, but uh, not unnecessarily. A lot, of, a lot of people just spend so much time ruminating about their problems Because you have become habituated to them since beginningless time to the point where they have become totally familiar, if you don't exert yourself to struggle with them, then as time goes on and on, without your knowing it, they will have entered deeply into you. Yes. Finally, on the last day of your life, you won't be able to do anything about it. If you want to be able to avoid going wrong when you face the end of your life, then from now on, whenever you do anything, don't let yourself slip. Don't let the, your mind be captivated by thoughts. If you go wrong in your present doings, it will be impossible not to go wrong when you're facing death. Well, there are people uh, who find this a meaningful incentive to do practice, that is, uh, how am I going to die? How, when I'm drawing my last breaths, how will I go? But we don't need to imagine that. We won't need to think about that. It's just, the, the Zen practice is about living. It's about now how we're using or misusing the mind now, moment by moment. How we, 
how we um, stick ourselves to our anxieties or not, depending on how we use the mind. How we cause ourselves unnecessary distress by based on how we're using or misusing the mind. He continues, there's a sort of person who reads sutras, recites the Buddha name, and repents in the morning, but then in the evening runs off at the mouth, slandering and vilifying other people. The next day he does homage to Buddha and repents as before. All through the years till the end of his life, he takes this as daily ritual. This is extreme folly. Such people are far from realizing that the Sanskrit word kshama means to repent faults. This is called cutting off the continuing mind. Once you have cut it off, never continue it again. Once you have repented, do not commit wrongdoings again. This is the meaning of repentance according to the Buddha, which good people who practice the way should not fail to know. Now, it's easier said than done. Uh, uh, when we... Um, when we break one of the precepts as a discrete action or inaction, uh, this may be a little easier to not repeat than the more uh, deeply ingrained reactive patterns in our personality and character. And so there's daily sitting. That's our only chance to extricate ourselves from these habit forces. He continues, the mind, discriminating intellect, and consciousness of followers of the path should be quiet and still 24 hours a day. When you have nothing to do, you should sit quietly and keep the mind from slackening and the body from wavering. This uh, would be a rare person today who would uh, choose that over uh, checking their cell phone. takes quite a commitment to practice when when uh, you're not in the zendo to uh, sit quietly and keep the mind from slackening and the body from wavering. If you practice to perfection over a long, long time, naturally body and mind will come to rest at ease and you will have some direction in the path. The perfection of quiescence and stillness indeed settles the scattered and confused 
false consciousness of sentient beings. But if you cling to quiescent stillness and consider it the ultimate, then you're in the grip of perverted, silent illumination, Chan, Zen. This matter may be taken up by brilliant, quick-witted folks, but if you depend on your brilliance and quick wits, you won't be able to bear up. It is easy for keen and bright people to enter, that is, to, to get started, but hard for them to preserve it. That's because generally their entry is not very deep and the power is meager. Uh, entry, he might also be talking about uh, entering the first gate, having a first slight kensho. With the intelligent and quick-witted, as soon as they hear a spiritual friend mention this matter, their eyes stir and they are already trying to gain understanding through their mind's discriminating intellect. People like this are creating their own hindrances and will never have a moment of awakening. Then he drops in a quote here, unattributed. When devils from outside wreak calamity, it can still be remedied. And then his own words, he says, but this reliance on an intellectual discrimination amounts to, quote, when one's own family creates disaster, it cannot be averted. This is what Yung Chia meant, the predecessor, a master, Chinese master, when he said, the loss of the wealth of the Dharma and the demise of virtue all stem from mind's discriminating intellect. So here, Dao Wei is going right to the heart of the matter, the heart of the problem, is this thoughting mind that has its uses we need to discriminate often. We need to be able to discriminate uh, you know, when we find food in our kitchen and be able to distinguish between the, uh, the food and the mold. Or uh, we need to distinguish between, well, we need to distinguish between thoughts and no thoughts. This is the key thing in practice is to notice when we've lapsed into thought and having noticed, then to go back to the practice. So discrimination has its place, a lot of place, especially if one's job involves uh, a lot of discriminating work. But all too often we are... we. Lapse into discrimination when we don't need to, especially during sitting. Other than just knowing the one discrimination, whether we're involved in thoughts or not, uh, there's no there's no discriminating we need to do while we're sitting.
Next letter. The obstruction of the path by the mind and its conceptual discrimination is worse than poisonous snakes or fierce tigers. Why? Because poisonous snakes and fierce tigers can still be avoided, whereas intellectual people make the mind's conceptual discrimination their home, so there's never a single instant, whether they're walking, standing, sitting, or lying down, that they're not involved with it. Emerson, Ralph Waldo Emerson, noted that life consists in what one is thinking of all day. That is life for most people. What most people call life, most people are just lost in thought from morning to night. It's... uh, That's not really living fully. That's existing. He continues, As time goes on, unknowing and unawares, they become one piece with it. That is the the thoughting. And not because they want to either, but because since beginningless time, they have followed this one little road until it's become set and familiar. Though they may see through it for a moment and wish to detach from it, they still can't. Does this sound familiar to anyone at all? Thus it is said that poisonous snakes and fierce tigers can still be avoided, but the mind's conceptual discrimination truly has no place for you to escape. There's a um, a neat little story from a book called uh, The Man of Many Qualities, A Legacy of the I Ching. It's a collection of stories from all over the world. And uh, this one is by a uh, 19th to 20th century uh, Maurice Metterlink. And this is what he said. If you place in a bottle half a dozen bees and the same number of flies and lay the bottle down horizontally with its base to the window, you will find that the bees will persist until they die of exhaustion or hunger in their efforts to discover a way out of the glass. But the flies, in less than two minutes, will all have sallied forth through the neck on the opposite side. It is the bees' love of light, it is their very intelligence that is their undoing in this experiment. They evidently imagine that the way out of the prison must be there where the light shines clearest, and they act in accordance and persist in too logical action. To them, glass is a supernatural mystery they have never met in nature. They have had no experience of this suddenly impenetrable atmosphere. And the greater their intelligence, the more inadmissible, more incomprehensible 
will the strange obstacle appear. However, the feather-brained flies, <laughs> careless of logic as of the enigma of crystal, disregarding the call of the light, flutter wildly hither and thither, and meeting here the good fortune that often waits on the simple who find salvation there where the wiser will perish, necessarily end by discovering the friendly opening that restores their liberty to them. Yeah, so to become more simple, it's enormously rewarding to be able to unplug from this discriminating mind when it's not called for. Simplify, simplify, simplify. There's no, no endeavor like Sashin to have that happen. Simplifying one's life starts with simplifying the mind and that comes from not dealing, not, not engaging in unnecessary thoughts. Everything becomes so simple. Marvelously so. In, this, in terms of the, the Zazen, the story is suggesting that, that, that the, what we're working on, the, the breath practice, the koan, this is, it's not, we're not going to get anywhere if we try to figure out, if we employ this uh, discursive mind. It doesn't work. Some people stubbornly persist. They've had often people who've been successful in their life through this employment of the discriminating mind will go on at it on and on and on till they finally realize that they have to just drop it and become one with the practice. Next letter. Gentlemen of affairs often take the mind which assumes there is nothing to attain to seek the Dharma wherein there is nothing to attain. Oh, excuse me. Uh, take the mind which assumes there is something to attain to seek the Dharma wherein there is nothing to attain. Or using the grasping mind to try to realize this Dharma. Uh, in which there's nothing to attain. What do, I, what do I mean by the mind which assumes there's something to attain? It's the intellectually clever one, the one that ponders and judges. What do I mean by the Dharma wherein there is nothing to attain? It's the imponderable, the incalculable, where there's no way to apply intelligence or cleverness.
in the old days, Shui Feng, uh, his Japanese, Japanese name is uh, Seppo, uh, Shui Feng, the truly awakened Chan master, was so earnest about this matter that he went to Mount Tozu three times and climbed Mount Tungshan nine times. Circumstances were not met for him in those places, however. So later, when he heard of the teaching of of Deshan, that's Toksan, when he heard about the teaching of Deshan, he went to his abode. One day he asked Deshan, in the custom of the school that has come down from high antiquity, what doctrine is used to instruct people? In other words, give me your teaching. Deshan said, Our school has no verbal expression, nor does it have any doctrine to teach people. Later, Shui Fang also asked, Do I have any share in the business of the vehicle of this ancient school? And at that, Deshan picked up his staff and immediately hit him, saying, What are you saying? At this blow, Shui Feng finally smashed the lacquer bucket of his ignorance. Came to awakening. From this we observe that in this sect, that is the Zen school, intelligence and cleverness, thought and judgment are of no use at all. An ancient worthy had a saying, Transcendent wisdom is like a great mass of fire. Approach it, and it burns off your face. Um, Face here uh, really means, um, burning off the face means uh, revealing our original face, our original mind. Revealing the word of the world of formlessness, and the world of formlessness is no different from the world of form. Form here is only emptiness; emptiness only form. That's transcendent wisdom. If you hesitate in thought and speculation, you immediately fall into conceptual discrimination. Jung Chia said, Loss of the wealth of the Dharma and destruction of virtue all stems from the mind's conceptual discrimination. Hence we know that mind's conceptual discrimination not only obstructs the path, but also can make people mistaken and confused, so they do all kinds of things that are no good. Once you have the intent to investigate this path to the end, you must settle your resolve and vow to the end of your days 
not to retreat or fall back so long as you have not yet reached the great rest, the great liberation. There's not much to the Buddha Dharma, but it's always been hard to find able people. The concerns of worldly passions are like the links of a chain joining together without a break. Those whose resolve is weak and inferior time and time again willingly become involved with them. That is the links of the chain. Unknowing and unawares, they are dragged along by them. Only if the person truly possesses the faculty of wisdom and willpower Will he consent to step back and reflect? Step back and reflect. Uh, We could call this meta-awareness, where we get the big picture. We're not caught in the drama. We can step back and see it as all, all as phenomena, just phenomena in flux, things that happen, things that come and go things that pass. We get, we have a, a, the ability to assume this perspective. This perspective comes to us in Sashin when we're doing so much sitting, where we are um, not as caught in the melodrama of our lives, but we acquire this more distant perspective wonderful detachment. There's a line from the uh, one of the great Mahayana sutras, the Sharangama Sutra. Uh, Swiftly flowing water, when viewed from afar, appears still. Gentlemen of affairs, this it's just the translator's choice of uh, how to, what other translators might say, worldly people, people caught up in, in uh, achieving and gain and loss and um, grasping. Uh, I think I think it really maybe is a uh, way of saying people who aren't monks or nuns. Gentlemen of affairs make their living within the confines of thought and judgment their whole lives. As soon as they hear a person of knowledge speak of the Dharma in which there is nothing to attain, in their hearts there is doubt and confusion, and they fear falling into emptiness. Falling into emptiness is something that people who practice long enough, especially in Sashin, have to be ready for the fear of falling into emptiness. When the mind becomes relatively empty, empty or nearly empty of thoughts, then this fear can grip one all of a sudden out of nowhere. It's a fear of dying. It's, and what does dying mean? It means the fear of disappearing. Or we could say the fear of letting go of, of, of the last thoughts in the mind. 
fear of falling into emptiness. Whenever I see someone talking like this, I immediately ask him, is this one who fears falling into emptiness himself empty or not? Which is a, a way of putting in question form the statement that this very one who fears falling into emptiness is herself empty. But it was, it was typical, it's customary in China to phrase these things as questions. Ten out of ten cannot explain. Since you have always taken thought and judgment as your nesting place, as soon as you hear it said that you shouldn't think, immediately you are at a loss and can't find your grip. You're far from realizing that this very lack of anywhere to get a grip is the time for you to let go of your body and your life. So many people, they don't know anything except their thoughts. That's their life, their thoughts. And to hear that you shouldn't be dwelling in thoughts uh, unnecessarily uh, leaves people at a loss. People, certainly people who haven't practiced. Where is that place? Where is such a realm of without thought? He keeps mentioning judgment. Judgment judgment also can be a useful thing. We have to make judgments time to time. Uh, but when we use it in Zen, it's, it usually refers to unnecessary judgments of good and bad with people, judging things, things or people, unnecessarily. And from my experience as a, as a pra- practitioner and teacher, this seems to be one of the um, most sobering experiences that people new to practice have is seeing how much time they spend in judging, judging others. I've had so many people come to Doksan and just aghast when they realize they're starting to to notice what goes on in the mind and how much of their time they spend judging others. It's a very, very important realization to get onto this, to to notice, start noticing this. And judging all others always means judging oneself. There is only this one true self, so it makes sense that if we're judging others naturally, we're also judging ourselves, and we have to notice that, and vice versa. Sometimes someone might say, I'm... uh, I'm shaken by how how much how much I, I judge myself. Well, if you're judging yourself, you can be sure you're also judging other people. Watch for it.
And then he addresses the recipient of the letter, Tun Li, my friend in the path. When we met in Pien in 1126, you were of mature age and already knew of the existence of the great matter. But with your vast erudition, you have entered too deeply into the nine classics, those are the Confucian classics, and the 17 histories. You are too brilliant, and your lines of reasoning are too many, whereas your powers of stable concentration are too few. You are being dragged along by your daily activities as you respond to circumstances. Thus, you are unable to make a clean break right where you stand. So you're, you're, you're mind of, of uh, intellectual reasoning is too strong and your powers of stable concentration are too few. Uh, Rilke, Rainer Maria Rilke said somewhere, if you understand too much, eternity passes you by. Zazen draws us into the world that is beyond understanding in the usual sense, beyond understanding that can come to us from our higher brain functions. This is the true understanding with a capital U. seems to, in these letters we read yesterday and today, seem to be um, largely directed to uh, people uh, who are highly educated. He might say people who are top-heavy. Remember my uh, one of my Dharma heirs, Sante Paroma in Sweden, uh, was once invited to uh, attend a lecture by a, a very well-known uh, teacher, not a Zen teacher, but uh, a, a, a scholar, a Buddhist scholar and monk. And uh, he felt obliged to go to represent uh, the Sangha, our Swedish Sangha, and they made sure to sit him right in the front row um, as a kind of a route of respect. And he said he was just... Um, the, the the teacher was, was so um, cerebral in, 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 in everything he said, his whole manner, his whole presentation was so cerebral. He said, Sante said it was like sitting in front of just a giant brain. That's who I thought of when I read this paragraph. He's uh, since died, this teacher.
And finally, this paragraph, if correct mindfulness is present at all times and the ad and the attitude of fear for birth and death doesn't waver, this is seen as a real um, resource in Zen practice, is awareness of, of our in- inevitable death. If it doesn't, awareness and even fear, it doesn't waver, then over long days and months, what was unfamiliar will naturally become familiar, and what was stale will naturally become fresh. But what is the stale? It's the brilliance and cleverness, that which thinks and judges. What is the unfamiliar? It's enlightenment, nirvana, true thusness. The Buddha nature, where there's no thought or discrimination, where figuring and calculating cannot reach, where there's no way for you to use your mental arrangements. We can uh, we can take some of certain liberty and and see uh, knowledge as light. What in Christianity they might call logos, knowledge is light and wisdom is dark. Darkness, beyond knowledge, beyond uh, ordinary knowledge to transcendental wisdom. Zen Master Hakuin said, uh, this, this, this mind of wisdom is dark, dark as a wolf, the mouth of a wolf. And it's not only in our own tradition, in Zen, some of the, uh, the Catholic mystics had this understanding. Meister Eckhart He said, if you wish to know the road you tread on, you must close your eyes and walk in the dark. Sashin offers us a a terrific opportunity to switch off the light of this, this cogitating mind so we can find our way into this great realm of wisdom that is beyond knowledge. We'll stop now and recite the four vows. Attain all beings without number. 
I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain.